Thank you, brother, very much indeed for your welcome this morning. And uh, thank you for your prayers in the meeting. And I trust this morning as we meet around the word of the Lord for a time that we're going to experience God's blessing in a very real way. It's lovely looking down to see so many gathered into the service today. And I trust that as the service progresses, we're going to know the Lord's blessing in a very, very special way. Sorry to hear that Brother Bertie's laid aside the way he is at this time. I know a little bit about that from past days, and it can be very distressing, particularly when you want to get up and get going and are not able to do it. But uh, we will keep him constantly before the throne of grace and prayer that God will come and raise him and bring him back to health and strength again. I want to thank you very much for your prayers during the mission that we had there recently up in Stranuka. It was mentioned to me coming in this morning, and uh, I just want to thank you for praying for us. We had a really good time. We could not complain at all about the people coming. It was the very opposite. The people really did come, and we're so thankful to God for that. I think the main issue that contributed to that was the testimony of one particular man in the district, a man whose witness for God has shone for years, and it was he who was responsible to bring the mission along. A number professed to be saved, pray for them, and as we continue on in mission work and here and there and yonder, you just pray that God will bless and undertake. The next mission that Martin and I will be doing, I think it begins this day three weeks, if I remember correctly, but however, it's next month. Uh, I haven't the diary with me, so I can't tell you for sure, but uh, it's down in Dromore, and that's a spot that uh, my brother Martin has been wanting to go for quite a while, because that's actually where he comes from in that area. So we've managed to get the use of the, what was the Christian Workers Union Hall down there, and uh, we're hoping to start there pretty soon. So we value your prayers very much indeed for that mission as it comes up. Now, come with me in your Bible to Romans today, and to the very, sorry, 12th chapter of this book, Romans chapter 12. And the reading I want to do this morning is not going to be lengthy. It's only the first verse I want to read, but I would recommend that you take the time when you go home and read the chapter in full. It has a lot to teach and a lot to tell. Now we'll read this first verse through twice. Paul talking... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you like to read it with me? Let's all read together this particular verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. May the Lord add his own blessing to that extract today from his inspired word. I want to talk to you folks gathered this morning on a theme or topic that has been very much upon my mind in recent days. That theme or topic is this. It's the issue of Christian commitment or Christian dedication. I don't know so much about this area, but as I go round from place to place, from time to time, I find that commitment is waning. In particular, since we had this COVID outbreak, I know of many places that have closed down because of it. And I question very much if they're going to ever open up again in the way that they were. So because of that and other issues, of course, Christian commitment seems to be waning. I would ask you, right at the very outset of my remarks, how committed are we to the Lord and to his cause today? I was listening with interest to our brother as he led this morning in prayer. I noticed two individuals that he mentioned. He mentioned those that were in prison for their faith. And he mentioned those also who maybe before today has come to an end will seal their testimony in martyrdom. We know that that is going on even as I speak to you this morning. There is commitment there. But I wonder, is the same commitment in our hearts and lives today? I want to begin my remarks this morning mostly by relating to you a story or an incident that occurred in my life as a young beginner many, many years ago now. During the early days of my Christian ministry, and the gospel in particular, the most of the time was spent around the Ards Peninsula where I come from. One Sunday evening, I was preaching in a place called The Rocks, a mission hall there that continues even to this day. If you go down there and ask for the rocks, they hardly know where you're talking about. They call it the rooks down there. You know this Ulster Scottish thing? Well, that's the way the lingo is. It's known as the Rooks Mission Hall, but it's spelled R-O-C-K-S. How you get rooks out of that, I don't know, but you better talk to them about that. But in the meeting that night, friends, there was a man. A man that I had heard of, but had never up to that moment had the privilege of meeting. His name was Big John. And John 
was a missionary to India. When I met him for the first time, I realized why he was called Big John. Not very often I have to look up at anyone, but I had to look up at him. And I think from memory, if he wasn't altogether seven foot tall, he was pretty near it. Well, that was my first experience and encounter with this man. He had been a missionary in India for over 50 years. And during that time, had only returned to this land once. That's Christian commitment. I think you would agree. But the reason why I'm telling you the story is this, that after the meeting was over on that particular evening, there was a medical doctor in the area, and he invited myself and John and two other men to come to his house for supper. I went. They were all aged men like I am today. But I was a young fellow, maybe just around the age of about 20. So I went with the intention of sitting and keeping my mouth shut and listening to the conversation of these men. Why was it so interesting? There was a group of men in that area when John had left. The two men that night were the only two that were left. A man called James and a man called William. The conversation was good. Many details were revealed concerning the achievements of this man in the place of God's calling in his life. But as the conversation got near an end, one of the men looked at John and he said this to him. He said, John... Would you mind if I ask you a very personal question? I wondered what was coming. John said, no. You ask and I will answer. He looked at John and he said this. He said, tell us, John, tonight, what was the secret of your success as a missionary? And I found out afterwards that he had been extremely successful and had seen many, many souls coming to the Lord. He was very slow in giving a reply. I noticed that one of the men said to him, John, you promised an answer. And he said, I know, I'll give you it but I don't want to be hurtful. I wondered at that. The other guy said to him, doesn't matter whether you're hurtful or not. Go ahead. Give the answer. This answer was pretty brief. I have never forgotten it. It was a revolution, if you like, in my own soul and spirit that night. He looked at those two men and he said this. He said, boys, when you and I and others were living in this area way back all those years ago, he said, we always talked about 
dedicating ourselves to the Lord, committing ourselves to his service, and going out and serving him, possibly in a full-time capacity. Now listen to this bit. He then looked at the two men and he said this. He said, boys, you talked about it. But he said, I did it. Listening to that. You talked about it, but I did it. It's one thing to talk about serving the Lord. It's another thing entirely to do it. An awful lot of door hinge Christianity today. Coming and going, coming and going like a door on a hinge. And people seem to never get stirred into a full-blown activity for the glory of God. I trust this morning that the Lord will challenge our hearts and challenge our lives. I came across a comment from D.L. Moody. You might say in the meeting this morning, what can I do? Well, you can do whatever the Lord has called you to do, my friend. And if you ask him, he will show you. But Moody said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, by the grace of God, that I will do. That's Moody speaking as a young man. When he left this world behind, he said, Earth is receding. Heaven is approaching. Listen. So much to do. So little done. Farewell time. Welcome eternity. Jesus is mine. He became known as the man of a million souls. He had led at least a million to the Savior. Who hasn't heard of Moody and Sankey? What a great combination they were. Let's think about those statements. You talked about it, but I did it. That which I can do, by the grace of God, that I will do. That door is open to us all today. Now, if you wish to go through that door this morning, you need to take a look with me at this verse. Because all that you need to know is here. It's a challenge. And it begins, if you like, with some indication as to what God's salvation is all about. And I think we need to start there. Because Paul says this, I beseech you, brethren. Therefore, brethren rather, that's a very interesting statement. Notice the I, notice the you. Here is the shepherd and the flock. 
And in the middle there is this word beseech. Paul is not flogging the people of God. He's not arguing, debating, or disputing with them. He is shepherding them kindly. And he's on bended knee. The way a man would bow the knee and plead with God. So the shepherd is pleading with the flock. I beseech you, therefore. Therefore is a link word. It links what's past in chapter 11 with what's to come in the remainder of this chapter. I won't go into that today. That'd be something you could do as a spiritual exercise to find out what he meant. Notice he uses the term brethren. This is a family text. It belongs to the people of God. It brings a challenge to every believer in the meeting today. There are no exceptions. You may be here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're not born again. You might say to me, preacher, does this verse exclude me? No, my friend, you exclude yourself from the verse. Simply because you have not come to the Savior. But if you come to the Savior this morning, even there on the very seat where you sit, cry out to God to forgive you and save you and bring you into his family, the moment you do it, the verse will apply to you. Don't delay. There is danger and death in delay. Now is the accepted time, and now is the day of salvation. But Paul brings in, in this verse, the method by which God saves us. You will note it is a plural term. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. My, the mercies of God are a wonderful, wonderful theme. If you want to research them a little, the Ephesian epistle is your answer. Much detail is given there about the mercies of God. But I borrow the hymn writer's words when he spake of Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, brethren, sisters today, how much we owe to the mercy of God. How much? Were it not for the mercy of God, we would have been swept into eternity. And there's every possibility that we would have gone to a lost sinner's hell. But God preserved us and saved us and has kept us ever since. Why is Paul talking about the mercies of God here? I'll tell you. He's using them as a lever. He's saying to the Roman believers and to you and I in this meeting this morning, look what the mercy of God has done for you. Isn't it time 
you did something in return. That's the idea. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I want you to get that straight. He's using it as a lever. He's getting behind you if you need it today, and he's giving you a push, and he's saying to you, you owe so much to the mercies of God. It's time to do something in return. Are you convinced? Have you walked through that? Do you know there's a scripture in Ephesians that we very often quote, and it's this. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Many a time we have used that in the preaching of the gospel. But the tragedy with that particular verse is this, that we stop there and we don't go on. And when you leap over the wall into the next verse, the apostle says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's you he's talking about if you're saved. You're the workmanship of God. He moved upon you by his Holy Spirit, taught you you were a sinner, brought you to see your need, and then he created you in Christ. He brought you to Christ. And as he wrote to the Ephesian church, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, sorry, to the Corinthian church, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or if you like, a new creation. And here's the evidence. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. But let me bring you back to that verse again. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Are you listening? Unto good works. You got that? Unto good works. And here's the next statement. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's why he saved you. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Not going to do this. But I want to challenge your heart. If I were to ask you to raise your hand this morning in this meeting, if you know what the good works are that God has foreordained that you should walk in them, if I asked you to raise your hand, I wonder could you do it? Or I wonder would I be looking into a desert? I just wonder. I don't know. I'm not accusing. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm just putting out the issue to the meeting. You might say to me as a young believer today, how am I to know what the good works are 
that God hath before ordained that I should walk in them. Ask him. Ask and ye shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and ye shall find. The simplest terminology, ask, knock, seek. And I tell you, friend, God has not said that to you to mock you. If you ask him, he'll tell you. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock the door, he'll open it for you. I remember in my own mother's home, I may have related this from this pulpit many years ago, talking to the Lord about a particular verse that hit me like a brick, the story of the rich farmer. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Wasn't that that hit me? It was the next bit. And whose shall these things be? No matter how much of this world you accumulate, you've got to go away and you've got to leave it behind someday. Whose shall these things be? Friend, use the world, but don't abuse it. And follow the Lamb, whithersoever he would lead. Knock and he'll open. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be revealed to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now I want to bring you to this verse. My goodness, look where the clock is. Because Paul outlines a number of things here, moving from the salvation of God to the presentation of our bodies. And this is a very personal thing. He says that ye present your body. Now, we could, or sorry, bodies, we could spend the rest of our time talking about that statement. Present your bodies. You see, the word present is there. We all know what a present is. Christmas time, birthdays or whatever comes along. Someone goes and buys something and gives it to you as a gift. That's a present. But what's here is not that idea at all. That you present your bodies. God has bought you. Let me tell you, brother, sister, this morning, you are the most expensive purchase in the universe of God. You're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold, listen to it, but with the precious blood of Christ. God owns you. Now he's saying to you in this statement, present your body, you're mine. Don't hold yourself back from me. I own you. You're my servant. You're my child. I've redeemed you. I've brought you into my family. Don't hold back. Let me take charge of your life. Let me rule and reign without a rival. You ever done that? Present your body? Now, time's not going to allow me to deal with this properly this morning. But he outlines a number of things here. First of all, there's sincerity. A living sacrifice. You see, 
The day of dead sacrifices is over in the meantime. God's looking for living sacrifices today. But why was the word sacrifice put in there? Well, friends, I thought long and hard about that. And I think the answer is this. That whenever a lamb or a sheep or a bullock or whatever was brought to the altar and offered up in sacrifice, it wasn't coming back. That was it. It was over and done with. It was finished. And when you give your body over to the Lord, there's no going back. You're a living sacrifice. Was Big John that? Of course he was. Imagine 50 odd years. I met another sister that I got to know very well and she wrote gospel tracts for me for years. Lived up in a place called Castle Rockland yonder. Way on the outskirts of Belfast. She came home when she wasn't fit to go on any longer. She was a nursing sister and she went to a leper colony. And she was 62 years there and never came home once. Never. Think of that. Miss Wallace was her name. Never home once until she couldn't carry on any longer in a leper colony. A living sacrifice. No coming back. That's it. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. How slow we are to get there sometimes. I'll go through this quickly. A living sacrifice, sincerity, holy. There's the thought of purity. God will not tolerate sin even in his believing people. I've met people, I don't know why or how they get this notion into their head, but they seem to think that once you're saved, you can live as you like. My friend, you can't. Do you see the word holy? And I keep reminding people about this. I didn't write that in there. They must be holy that bear the vessels of the Lord. Now, I'm not preaching sinless perfection today. I only need to stand at the mirror and have a good look. And I know that that doesn't exist, at least as far as I'm concerned. You see, I heard of a man one time who went along to give his testimony at a mission. And he couldn't see too well. And he got up onto the pulpit, you know, and he thought when he got the chance he'd blow his trumpet a wee bit. And hadn't his wife slipped into the meeting to hear him. And he didn't know she was there. And he was exalting himself maybe a little bit higher than she thought he should. Funny enough, his name was John. (laughs) And she stuck this so she could stick it no longer and she jumped up and she shouted, John, remember I'm here. She knew a different John from what was coming out in the pulpit. Holy, holy, holy. Purity. God demands it. I must go on. 
acceptable unto God. That's acceptability. Friends, what am I today but the product of the dunghill of iniquity? What am I but a sinner saved by the grace of God and yet God will take me and use me in his service? That never ceases to amaze me. You young people in the meeting today, I'm sure you're thinking long and hard about your future. God bless you. And you need to be prayed for, not criticized. Amanda, I hate to hear people criticizing young people today. They face things today I never heard of in my teenage years, and they need our prayers. But you know, when you're preparing for your future, get very high in your list of not to the very top, the work of the Lord. God may call you. And all the education that you're having today could be a great blessing in the service of the best of masters. Remember a lady saying to me one time about education, she said, you know, Harvey, it's a burden easy carried. And it certainly is. It's a great thing to have. And in the service of Christ, it could be so useful. God will take you. Isn't that amazing? Acceptable unto God. You're acceptable to God in Christ today because you know him as your Savior and Lord. You are acceptable. And now, we come to humility. With this, I want to close this morning. Which is your reasonable servants. See that word, reasonable? Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord, said God to the sinner. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is saying to the sinner, come now, don't be unreasonable. Yet how unreasonable they are at times. I had to stand in that last mission and watch people going past me, weeping like babies. And yet as far as I know up to this moment, are still rejecting the Savior. I haven't heard anything different. My friends, this is your reasonable service. Don't be unreasonable with God. He's not unreasonable with you. It's your reasonable service. Don't be getting a big head. He'll take you. He'll bless you. And he'll use you. But keep humble. Dear old brother I knew in days gone by, he used to pray for the young men that God would keep them, that they would go slow, keep low and don't blow. That was it. I could nearly get it, hardly get it out of my head there. Keep, aye, go slow, keep low and don't blow. That was it. I hope I got it right the first time. I've never forgotten that. I nearly did there now. I've never forgotten that advice. You see? And he used to talk about when you're preaching, stand up, speak up, and shut up. He had these wee trios, you know, you know. I never heard anybody in my life complaining about a preacher being too short. Never heard that. But I've always heard them gurning about somebody who goes on over the time and goes on too long, so I'm not going to do that today. My time is away. Much more I'd love to say there. Can I quote you a little something that I came across and wrote down a couple of things and then I'll finish. 
Matthew Henry wrote this. If salvation is worth anything, it is worth everything. And you've heard of Augustine. I don't know who this man was or anything about him. But in one of his writings, I came across this remark. To my God, a heart of flame. To my fellow fellow men, a heart of love. To myself, a heart of steel. I'm going to repeat that and finish. To my God, a heart of flame. To my fellow man, a heart of love. To myself, a heart of steel. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God bless you and his word to every heart. Just a brief prayer. Take what has been of thyself, O Lord, bury it in our hearts. Anything that has been of man, may it be both forgiven and forgotten. Bless us now as we continue in the Savior's name. Amen.